Hey, I'm Ben Silverio. And I'm Zach Shevich. And I'm Ansel Birch, your host and post. And it's time to party! We are not doctors. We don't give medical advice. Please drink responsibly. This episode was recorded on July 18th did it, did, of 2022. I'm doing the air instrument thing. Did it, did it, did it, I love it. I love just watching it now. It's just... <laughs> this is great. See what happens when you're not here, Ansel. It's, I'm sorry. Uh, party people! Welcome to the podcast! Uh, joining me again is my good friend, my old friend, even though he's younger than me, uh, Zachary Shevich. Hey! hey. It's, it's been a long time. I don't know. I don't even know if that's a song. I'm just trying to sing because I know it makes you laugh. I, um, I was thinking of It's Been a While. Yeah. Uh, is that stained? It's like stained with a D. Yeah. Like, or, or no, like, a, I mean, I guess all versions of the word stained have a D in them, but... Uh, I guess without an, I, I meant to say without an E. <laughs> yeah, that band. <laughs> but you never thought that you'd turn on a, a, a podcast about time travel to hear about Stained. <laughs> to hear about mid-2000s grunge emo sound bands. It's post-grunge. I don't know why. Yeah, I it's definitely not grunge. emo. Like, Yeah, it's, it's just like that heavy, sad music that i don't really know what to talk what it, what it is like daughtry yeah <laughs> exactly like daughtry that's what, the first name that came to my mind i don't know why daughtry was the first one <laughs> in my mind but here we are uh we're also here to talk about an awesome time travel movie yes. um this month on time to party we are talking about beyond the infinite two minutes mm. a japanese film uh, directed by uh, Junta or Junta, I'm so sorry for butchering your name. Uh, Junta Yamaguchi. Um, Zach presented this movie to me as like, a, "Hey, you're gonna get a kick out of this." Basically, yeah. I mean, it's a really unexpected pleasure, especially like talking about uh, Yamaguchi, the director. He's not just the director; he's the cinematographer, and you know, you see in some of the behind the scenes footage just how much he's doing he edited the film as well so this really is uh like a project that he put so much into and all that it's his first movie can you imagine doing something this like complicated and with all these pieces you have to have that have to fall into place with your first feature film it's nuts we're gonna talk about all those elements uh in a moment but first uh if you want to pause right now and watch this movie um, you know, it's not going to take a lot of time because this is, movie is only an hour and 10 minutes long. Yeah. This movie can be found on Amazon Prime mm-hmm. or Tubi. Tubi. Or... Or not Tubi. That is the question. Yeah. Uh, wow. If you couldn't tell, we used to do this together a lot. <laughs> That's why it took me 10 seconds to get to the or not to be joke. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Party people, uh, this is almost like a reunion because when I first got into this, this being podcasting and talking about entertainment and, you know, the whole thing that's my career and all this shit, uh, <laughs> I I did it with Zach. Yeah. Uh, we started a radio show on Drexel, WKDU 97.1. 91.7. 91.7. Yeah, uh, this is why they didn't invite us back for the reunions. <laughs> exactly. 
also they hated us yeah that too i don't think we we made friends with a lot of people there. yeah but. imagine a movie review radio show on a station filled with indie hipsters <laughs> on drexel's free format non-commercial radio station <laughs> someone from the radio station is going to listen to this and be like oh yeah these fucking guys yeah i'm sorry mitch Routman. That was the, we, we we liked you a lot mitch is great yeah mitch is cool i, I don't know if you've spoken to him recently but we tweet occasionally oh, that's cool yeah He's a cool guy. Yeah, Mitch is cool people. Mm. More more references to people <laughs> no one's heard of. It's true. Yeah. These are these are people uh, that you would know if you went to Drexel University uh, in the two thousands. Yeah. So that's what we're settling on the two thousands. I guess because okay. it's what the other way is kind of. It more. is accurate. You are right. Zach and I started our film critiquing at a, a ripe young age. <laughs> back in the year 2008 yeah pre pre ability to legally drink it's and true now we continue to do it as we struggle to continue to drink <laughs> <laughs> yeah so since 2008 this guy and i have been talking about movies uh together although largely separate these days yeah you know because I'm here in Chicago, and the he's restraining order and all. Uh, right, yeah, <laughs> we're we're fifty feet apart right yeah. now. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's nice to be here in Chicago with you and see your nice apartment, and you all settled in, and pop Funko Pops lying in the wall. It's it's, <laughs> uh, it's a museum in here, but it's awesome. Yeah, I like doing interviews in here where some of the people on the wall are the people I'm talking to on the computer. Yeah, you got to make sure to like replace them if you oh, know you're talking to. I moved the Scrubs Pops make sure into they're frame in when I talked to Zach Braff. <laughs> um, if I ever talk to Ted Danson, mm-hmm. I got two of him. <laughs> so I got to move them both. <laughs> I tried to get an interview with Ted Danson for the mm-hmm. Orville and oh, he yeah. was unavailable. But he plays an admiral on the Orville, uh, and it's great to see him pop up and stuff. Do you watch the Orville? I don't watch the Orville. No. You don't watch a lot of TV. I, I do watch a decent amount of TV, but I I don't. You watch the prestige TV. Yeah, I watch the the bullshit Emmys, like uh, the awards fodder. Oh, yeah, the stuff that they make so that people can. Are you in a critics association yet? I'm not. I really should be though. I'm yeah, why aren't you? Guys. Yeah. Like, um... I'm not cocky. Why did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> You're not? <laughs> no, but I'm just surprised that you're not in one by now. Yeah. Philadelphia just got one. I know, but just right after for us I to left, leave. Yeah. You know? I, uh, I am occasionally Rotten Tomato certified, though. That's that's nice. Oh, look at you. Yeah. Occasionally. Occasionally? Yeah. I don't know what Rotten Tomatoes posts of mine. Like, I just don't pay attention. Yeah. I, as you know from our many years of doing this together, I'm just along for the ride. Yeah, you're you coast on vibes a lot of the time. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's which cool. is crazy that I'm hosting a podcast. <laughs> like the the way we started this was Aaron and I were both sidekicks on podcasts, mm-hmm. and then we and made now one you together. have to do the heavy lifting all by yourself. <laughs> How's it feel? How's it feel, Ben? You've watched me drink this entire time, so I don't know <laughs> yeah, if that answers so your question. Uh, uh, yes, but in this episode, we are going to review Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. Um, and I guess a good place to start would be technically. So this movie is one shot. Yes. I don't think it is literally 
one shot. Right. It's made to look like one shot. Exactly. Similar to Birdman. It's like a Birdman. It's like a Victoria. It's like a uh, Boiling Point, which mm-hmm. came out recently. I don't actually don't know if that might have been one. There's actually a movie called one shot really that was done in one shot it's pretty cool it's a military action movie 1917 a recent best picture winner also a one shot movie it is a genre that is increasingly prolific because i think the uh increased ease of digital cameras and uh editing softwares non-linear editing makes it possible for people to stitch stuff together and then you can use cgi and whatever effects to stuff uh stitch more stuff together like the shot that goes through the window grate in birdman obviously hitchcock can never do anything like that um so yeah i mean it's interesting to see all the ways in which one shot stuff i think people are using it for different types of stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're up on the bear. Speaking of Chicago. I'm waiting to watch it for, with my roommate. I hear that there's a one shot episode of that. that really? People really like. So okay. yeah. It's it's, it's cool. I, I, like, I really enjoy it. I think part of my enjoyment of it is like. You know. You and I uh, met as screenwriting uh, students at Drexel. We, we were working on movie production. Behind the scenes stuff. Or in the hopes of working on it. So we got to learn some of the ropes of how films are put together. And, you know, I think when you see a one shot movie, you can't help but think like, wow, how did they do that? Like, what is this cameraman doing to put it all together? And where did they hide the cuts? So, you know, if you, if you like how movies are put together, if you're into that, there's all this stuff to enjoy about beyond the infinite two minutes just from that. Yeah. You know, I have another drinking rule that I specifically saved for this episode oh, yeah. because you will have to have seen this already or n- have been to film school, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, drink every time you see where they hid the cut. Yes. You know, because like after Birdman, mm-hmm. in this genre of film, I've started to look for where the cut is. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Caitlin would have some great insight into this as an editor. Uh, and our friend Elisa Cusimano, like we know a lot of really good editors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sure they watch it with a much different lens than we do mm-hmm. because like even though I could pick up some of these cuts I'm sure a a, a regular editor could be like that's really fucking yeah. fascinating. Um but you were also talking about the ease of of uh or well the accessibility really of filmmaking now. Mm-hmm. This film was shot on an iPhone. Yeah, that's another one of those fascinating things about it. Like they they shoot the entire thing on iPhones in a way that I think you know I, I don't want to I don't want to get carried away with like saying this is like a perfect movie or anything mm-hmm. because I think you can see some of the like you see you you talked about how you can see some of the cuts and you can see some of the places where like it maybe doesn't look like the most pristine camera quality but it looks like a movie still and it's awesome because i think it allows them some freedom freedom of movement uh in the last episode we talked about how there's a lot of upstairs downstairs and Mm. i don't know if you could get the flexibility to follow this crew upstairs around corners and really get into tight spots if you were using a real camera. Yeah. Um, there's a story. I don't know if this is a real story or an apocryphal story about Christopher Nolan giving a presentation to a bunch of filmmakers about IMAX cameras and why more filmmakers should be using IMAX cameras because look at 
all the ways you can uh, you can enhance your image. And Soderbergh, because Soderbergh is a director who likes to experiment and likes to do crazy stuff, and Soderbergh asked him, like, yeah, but how could I get an IMAX camera to fit into the glove compartment of a car, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's the thing. It's like, maybe it's not going to be the, the most pristine quality all the time, but there's an, uh, an ingenuity yep. to how they approach this movie. And I think you see that through, like, the, the single shot, yeah. the shot on iPhone thing. It's really cool. And, you know, um, not only is the, the use of technology fascinating but also uh this production happened over the course of seven days in a cafe by a theater troupe Mm -hmm. i think that that element is also really important because it seems like this was a a production that needed a lot of rehearsal yeah it it definitely seems like it's a a real team effort like you need buy-in from everybody right Mm -hmm. like you need it's not just that you have to be moving to fit the needs of the scene, but you also have to be moving to fit the needs of this crew that's trying to do the one take mm-hmm. or this crew that is limited in their budget or in their hands, just their, their what they can do because they only have seven days. So mm-hmm. to, to plan all that out, the meticulousness of it, they, they show a little bit of behind the scenes over the credits of this mm-hmm. movie, and you see them li- literally graphing stuff out, timing things down to the second. Um, it, it's it's really cool. Like I, I Again, maybe this is something that you'll only pick up on if you like have an interest in filmmaking, but just to, to see, to, to try and see all the necessary... Uh, stages they had to go through in order to have things fit so perfectly as they do it's very very impressive yes and you know we haven't even talked about the story yet. no um that's how fucking wild this movie is yeah. it's just so fun to see all of this unfold mm-hmm. uh our good friends at imdb tell us uh what the movie is about and they say a cafe owner discovers that the tv in his cafe suddenly shows images from the future, but only two minutes into the future. Yes. The concept is so like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Like, it's so silly. Yeah. there's You've seen time travel movies before. You've done a whole podcast about them. There's nothing quite like this out there, I feel like. Yeah. This definitely stands out from mm-hmm. a lot of things that we've covered on this podcast or the things that we want to cover on this podcast because it's just... It's so whimsical, mm-hmm. I think, you know, like it's why two minutes? Yes. It's you know, good. it's so specific. Yeah. It, so I think this movie is a little <clears throat> bit like watching a Rube Goldberg machine where like, you know, it's going to like fall into place. But part of the pleasure is just how weird and wild they're going to yes. be in order to get there. Um, and, you know, as I talked about our past as screenwriting students. Part of screenwriting is creating unanswered questions for the mm-hmm. audience, right? You want to pose an idea and have the audience wonder, hmm, what is the, what's going to happen? How are they going to resolve that? And I think the great thing about this being able to see two minutes into the future thing is it creates these constant intervals for which they have, oh, here's a question, how are we going to get to this moment two minutes from now? And you're, they're constantly bringing up ideas and, and having to solve them along the way. And not only solve them, but solve them in ways that you're not thinking yes. they're going to be solved. Like, there is a great, great moment that... Because part of this is kind of a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. And that storyline where um, the main character... Uh, uh, Kato. Kato. Yes. 
uh, is... And the neighbor is Furuya. Yes. He has a crush on her. Mm-hmm. And he wants to ask her to come to his live music show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he asks himself in the future if she says yes. Right. So, yeah, let me let me talk about that for a second. So, I think one of the things that I really do love about Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes is... You, t- you talk about how it's whimsical. It's so playful. I think the first 20 minutes of this movie, there's like there's really no conflict at all. Yeah. It's just like, we found a cool thing. Let's do, let's figure out how to do cool things with this cool thing. And that, so it's 22 minutes into the movie where uh, they have just been playing with the machinations of this CCTV-like thing that can see two minutes into the future. Um, planting things and just you know discovering uh, discovering the fate of scratch off lottery tickets and uh, a bit with the ketchup that we were alluding to before, um, and then finally they show you that like it's it's not all gonna happen exactly the way you, yep. you think it's going to right like that the, just because they can see the future doesn't mean they know the future and part of that is another thing that they're setting up because like like you said. We were taught if there's a gun on the wall, it better be fired by the end of it. And there's a Chekhov's gun. There it is. (laughs) If if they set up that, hey, we need to do this thing because we said this thing happened, Mm -hmm. uh, we need to do it again. Yeah. You know, we need to do this exactly the way we saw it, or something could go wrong. Mm And a, a paradox is something in time travel movies that is constantly a problem. Mm-hmm. And the way that this movie handles paradoxes is just so unique, you know, mm-hmm. because from the get go, they're very um, they're very aware that they can create a paradox by not doing what yeah. their future selves told them to do. Exactly. They they from that moment where you're talking about with uh, with the neighbor they commit themselves to this idea that because they see it in the future, it needs to happen. Otherwise, bad things will happen. Mm-hmm. Why? You know, because it's a paradox. And yes. that it's simple enough. Like, one thing I like is that a lot of the stakes in this movie are very, very simple. Right. You know, um, because you can only see two minutes into the future, they're not, like, changing the what their lives will look like in ten years. They're, they're not... It, it's a bunch of, like, these little schemes and ideas that they have on, until it does progress a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it, it also, I think the other thing that's really cool about the two minute thing is it minimizes the room for, for plot holes. Cause yes. I feel like with time travel movies, there's always questions and threads you can pull. Well, why didn't they do this? But with this, it's like, there's not really a whole lot of freedom they have. So I don't know. They, it again, speaks to the creativity of how they put this together. Yeah. You know, there was one discrepancy that I had with the movie. And mm-hmm. I forgot to mention this earlier. We can talk about spoilers. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, uh, it's totally not like a perfect movie. Um, and there, there's plenty of problems you can point out. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I yeah. think what you, what you thought about it. My main it. one was that the one gangster that they dispatched with the mm-hmm. pill bug Right. They didn't knock him out or anything. They just threw a toy at him. Exactly. And yeah. then they left the room. Yeah. Like, he can still come back and shoot them. Absolutely. He absolutely. still has bullets in the gun. The one thing that I, I was pushing on in the movie is, like, how long are these cords for these TVs? That was the other thing. 
Why are cords so long in Japan? I mean, cool. Maybe we should all have like thousand foot cables attached to our monitors. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it's like you can pull on those threads if you want to. But I think like with most of these time travel premises, it's like that that just makes the movie less fun. Yeah, you got to spend disbelief yeah. for a certain amount of stuff. Um, the, uh, the third thing that I questioned, but I, I didn't really dwell on it too much was the symbolism. Mm. You know the symbol in his back. Yeah, <laughs> the the main character is given a, a symbol from a drum set. Yeah, and he uses it as a shield uh, when he goes to confront these two gangsters. Gangsters, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he Yucky uses it like Marty McFly in Back to the Future Three, mm-hmm. like a fucking shield. Mm-hmm. Uh, a symbol isn't gonna save you from a bullet. Right. I don't think. Probably not. Yeah. Then, right. Like, what What are symbols made out of? Brass is I, correct. Brass? Who knows? Like, it doesn't seem like a metal it that would, would hold up yeah. to the force of a bullet. But that's the thing is, like, <laughs> I love that sequence in the movie, too, because he's going upstairs to confront the gangsters, and you don't really know how it's going to go. You just know that he's has some idea that it's going to go well. And then the, the rest of the gang comes up the stairs and are handing him the items from further earlier in the movie. And it's like, why, why is he bringing ketchup to go confront these gangsters? And part of what I just love about that is that like, it's just that it's just that they have a resolution to a thing that you expected no resolution to. Right. Mm-hmm. Like she brings the symbol over because she's, you know, got this, uh, we, we find out she has this ex who was in a band, whatever. But like, you don't expect it to be part of how they take down the villain, right? Yeah. Um, and I think, again, it speaks to that idea that you just gotta have to suspend your disbelief a little bit and and lean into like the Rube Goldberg aspect of this. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, every piece actually matters. Like, yeah. the gangsters are actually introduced early in the movie. I don't right. know if you you caught it, mm-hmm. but on the phone, exactly, and and uh, on the stairs too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like you don't. I think the movie is very, very clever in ways that it, you know, it's not, you're not even noticing some of the ways that they're setting you up to yeah. uh, get those the resolutions. And I think that's where the rewatch value of this yes. movie comes in because you want to see every single bit of the Rube Goldberg machine. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to miss one ball going off, you know, and I think that's part of the fun, but also in that it happens in real time. Yes. Because, like, part of it you see set up on the screens, Mm -hmm. even though it's off to the side and maybe you wouldn't have thought to look there during your first watch through. You know, there are little clues as to what's going to happen throughout the movie Mm -hmm. that aren't as explicit as, say, uh, Kato talking to himself, being like, she's going to say yes, you know? And the, the way the the screens facing each other comes in mm-hmm. is just wild. Yeah. I I want to focus on that real time aspect mm-hmm. for one more second. How crazy is that? It's a real time time travel story. Like that just how do you even wrap your head around telling that kind of story? It's yeah. so cool. Uh trying to wrap my head around specifically the the, the scene the, the part with the 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 two monitors. Yeah. Because that requires so much planning. Yeah. And over the course of the seven days, they had to have run through this thing multiple times yeah, in yeah. order to get the footage, but also to get the routine down. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I mean, I'm sure as stage actors, they're used to running this kind of 
performance, hitting right? Their block, hitting their spots. Exactly. Yeah. Like that, they're, they're tailor made for something like that. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm recalling a taping of Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Yeah. Uh, I went to go see Conan uh, tape a show and his cameramen were like synchronized swimmers mm-hmm. moving precisely to where they needed to be at the exact moments during commercial breaks. It was fucking wild to watch. Mm-hmm. And like watching this movie, I thought of that again because like these people, not just on screen, but behind the iPhone, had to move in very specific ways in order for things to match up. Mm-hmm. You know, because like I don't know how much of this they had to piece together in post, but it seems like. They recorded a video, put it on the TV, and then played out the yeah. stuff and had to time everything perfectly. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's what it really feels like. And, you know, even if they're breaking this down into, like, six-minute chunk, four-minute chunk, or whatever, it still is so, so precise, you know, with characters talking to themselves and stuff like that. You have to time your performance to yeah. your own. It's it's really, really cool. Yeah, um, it's just... I think that um, what was I gonna say here? Uh, um, I had something I wrote. Oh, I, I think the thing that I, I want to go back to a little is how how cool the construction is in terms of the building of the stakes. Right, mm-hmm. first it's something he discovers, then it's something he's kind of hiding from the employee, and then she gets involved. Then his friend comes over. Then they invite more friends mm-hmm. over. Then that one friend has the idea we can see beyond just two minutes. Oh, you mean Japanese McLovin? Exactly. <laughs> he has the glasses, the vest, and the hair. He's McLovin. McLovin would also be into pill bugs. It's true. Yeah. He would. It could seem, I could see Christopher Mintz Ploss getting excited over one. <laughs> he has a pet. <laughs> uh, yeah, it... it the time cops also <laughs> yeah, very get cool. involved. And they're another thing that's set up early on in the movie and then come back in a big way. Yeah. Like literal time cops. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I just, okay. First of all, I just learned about the movie time cop recently. <laughs> I didn't know it was a thing. <laughs> My roommate likes uh, really ridiculous action movies. So he he enlightened me to Time Cop. Nice. I can't say I've seen it, although I, I know of it. Yeah, so the fact that there are Time Cops in this, <laughs> like, dealing with, like, Men in Black style, uh, not weapons, but, like, Yeah, like, tools. mind eraser. Yeah. yeah. The, the way that they play into the whole, we're trying to avoid a paradox thing, mm-hmm. uh, I think is really clever. Yeah, I mean, and it's also, they come late enough in the movie that... So much of this is is fairly grounded, mm-hmm. right? Like the the villain of the movie are these like street gangsters, and they're like I said, they're only doing these little schemes to get toys and and think about betting on horse races. Like it's nothing nothing big, um, and then it, it gets so um, so surreal, so sudden in terms of adding in the time cops that it, it is another surprise because it's another just like twisting of your expectations in the mm-hmm. movie. Um, but that plays into what we were talking about earlier with how seriously they handle the paradoxes, right? Like, that's the... There's not... A lot of this movie is establishing rules, but one of the things they really 
adhere to is like if you see something it has to happen mm-hmm. so then when you finally get to that moment with the time cops and you see them take the powder and then ultimately she sneezes it's such a fun surprise yes yeah. like uh one of the things that my one of my high school teachers used to say to me all the time was you have to know the rules before you could break them yes and this movie really sets up their rules uh in a in a big way so when they're broken uh it 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 means more mm-hmm. you know and it they pull it off really well mm-hmm. uh but in like some crazy fun ways like i love how in the end basically they're just talking about this and yes and the the neighbor is just like okay so how does it work and kato is just like it's pretty complicated so please ignore it we just went through an hour and 10 minutes of just how complicated it was and i'm like yeah i wouldn't want to explain that either yeah that that ending note is a really really nice one too because the movie is so so madcap so crazy uh you mentioned this is a theater troupe they're they're giving kind of stagey performances they're all like i love how everybody they their stance is like they were just in an earthquake yes. all the time. They're like, whoa, what is going on? Yeah. And it's fun, though. It adds to the, the joy of the movie. But then when you finally get to that resolution, it kind of quiets down and they have a nice little talk. And it really speaks to some of the themes going out throughout the movie. I really love that idea he has of like not thinking about the future. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really... Uh, because he was so concerned that Y2K and the end of the world the because Mayan of the Mayans. 2012. Uh, and what was the one before the Mayans? Um, was it Nostradamus? Nostradamus. Yeah. He was like, bro, Nostradamus played me. <laughs> and I was just like, is this dude for real? <laughs> it's just so funny. But like, I get it. Yeah. Like, okay, you're not going to prepare because you think everything's going to end, you know, live every day like it's your last, right? Mm-hmm. The, right in front of me, there is a piece of paper that says, throw your own punches, tomorrow isn't promised. <laughs> it's a quote from uh, the late professional wrestler, Brody Lee, uh, and I feel like that was how Kato was looking at this by the end. You know, like he he has something to live for by the end of all of this craziness. Mm-hmm. But also, I really thought that he was going to somehow be the ex-boyfriend in the band. <laughs> through through uh, time the time TV? Through the time TV. <laughs> and I'm glad it ended where it did, yeah. because it would have gotten way too complicated if, if what I said was really what was going to happen. Because, <laughs> you know, I just took it a step too far, but... Yeah, that would have been cool, I guess, but that's not this movie. That's uh, not this movie, right? Yeah, it's it's a lot smaller, and I don't know. I, I like that, too. I think it's refreshingly minimal for a time travel movie, because time travel movies inherently have to go across great distances of time or to, to vastly different locations. They have to impact generations of people or something sometimes, you know? And this is a movie about a guy in his apartment that's above his cafe and they, they never really leave there. It's kind of like a bottle film in a way. Um, and and it, you know, it's really just like, can they get through the night or what, what, where are they going to figure out? Will he successfully talk to his neighbor? I don't know. It's, I, I really I really dug those aspects of it. I think that what I'm trying to get at with my excitement is that like even though this is like 
you know, it's a movie that you can see some of the seams and some of the cracks and how it was put together. It's so refreshingly exciting in terms of its construction and the things that it's after. It involves so many exciting ideas with with time travel, with one takes, with real time, with a shot being shot on an iPhone, mm-hmm. with being this micro-budget production by a theater troupe. I just think there's so much interesting stuff there that it, I, I wish more people were, were talking about this movie because yeah. to me, it's one of the best movies I've seen this year. How did you find it? It was playing at Fantasia Fest okay. last year, which is a really cool genre film festival. Unfortunately, they are going uh, in person only this year, but they did virtual the last two, mm. which is how I've uh, managed to see a lot of stuff through them. And they, they've got awesome horror movies, some weird sci-fi stuff. Um, they, they, they've just got really cool movies that are off the beaten path. But this one has a pretty cool poster, which stood out to me. But another thing about it, which we haven't mentioned yet, is there's a quote from the director of One Cut of the Dead on the poster, sort of advertising for this movie. And uh, I don't know if you've heard of One Cut for the... Uh, is it One Cut for the Dead? Yeah, One Cut of the Dead, uh, which is a, another really cool movie that people should check out. Uh, about a Japanese film crew making a zombie movie when a zombie outbreak happens. Oh. Um, and it's a similar movie that just is very inventive and creative and playful and meta and just, you know, one of those fil- films that you see that's like, you didn't know movies could be made like this. Mm. And then that director gave this movie his stamp of approval nice. on the poster. So it was like, all right, I got to check this one yeah. out. And it did not disappoint. Cool. So, I mean, I think I know the answer to this question already. Yes. But... Uh, Zach, is Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes worth your time? Oh, it's absolutely worth my time. Especially, it's 70 minutes long. Yeah. There's episodes of, like, Ozark that are longer <laughs> than this. We, you really need to watch season four, episode two of Ozark again? <laughs> you know, that's another thing that I love about this movie. When you told me the runtime, I was just like, no way. Yeah. No way that there's a movie this long well this short and it's as good as you're saying yeah and like i've been kind of drawn to uh shorter media lately i don't know if it's just my my brain space or if i'm just tired of the long drawn out dark brooding dc superheroes (laughs) um yeah uh except not because (laughs) did i tell you that i came face to face with a snyder bro in real life i mean look it happens to the best of us man it when i was working at box lunch uh someone came in looking for dc merchandise and at the time we only had the suicide squad and batman because you always have batman uh and the guy was like I don't want any of this James Gunn childish nonsense. He's a sociopath. And like oh, it started man. out as a as a as a an innocent conversation about comic books and comic mm-hmm. book adaptations. And then he tried to pull like, you don't know what you're talking about. I've been reading comics for this long. I'm like, bro, I've been reading comics for that long too. Just because I'm younger than you doesn't mean <laughs> that I haven't done it any less, yeah. you know? It's it's wild that it escalated to a point where my manager behind the register looked over at me and caught my eye and he was like, should I do something? And I'm like, no, I got this. I mean, there, there's a reason they call them Snyder cults. Um, it's nuts. Uh, it, um, Cause we were just talking about how this stuff doesn't need to be that serious. What was the musical that TikTok tried to Ratatouille? Ratatouille yeah. 
Did, did you watch that? Yeah. I didn't watch it either. I mean, like, I don't know. That, that's kind of cool, but no, I didn't watch I'm it. Not, I'm not really a TikTok person, but since Instagram reels are becoming TikTok reposts, I'm watching TikTok yeah. now, basically, yeah. on Instagram. It's wild. Yeah. I a, don't know. It's a world. It's a world. <laughs> it's a world. <laughs> I, I don't know. But it's a world that gives us beyond the infinite two yeah. minutes. A nice reminder that things can still be fun. You know what would be interesting would be to chop up Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes into a bunch of two-minute TikToks. Oh, there you go. For each interval in the movie. <laughs> Caitlin just face <laughs> Listeners, I just want you to know that Zach's uh, partner and my friend Caitlin Wiedeker is in the room also. And watching her reaction to things is very funny. She's doing it. Okay, job of being quiet while we record. <laughs> just, just okay, job. <laughs> well, uh, we've been talking at you for a lot about this movie. You need to go watch it if Please. you haven't. Also, if you haven't watched it and you're listening to this episode, uh, good on you. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I guess you must like the sound of our voices, or at least Ben's. I mean, somebody's got to, right? I, I don't know who does. Maybe, maybe Ansel, my producer, Ansel. Shout out to Ansel. Shout out to Ansel. I haven't met you, met you, but you seem nice. <laughs> Ansel looks like a time traveler. Does he? Like, uh, what does what does looks like a time traveler mean? Okay, so are you familiar with Journey into the Imagination, the ride in uh, Epcot with Figment and the Dream Finder? No, sorry. Okay. Uh, it's this dude with a big beard with a kind of curly mustache and a top hat. Uh, and that's how I picture Ansel in my head. Uh, and then when I see him in person and he's wearing normal clothes, uh, it's not as fun. But I still picture him with the top hat because he still has the beard and the mustache. So It'd be better if he didn't even have the beard and the mustache. You just, just picture him that way. That way. <laughs> Every time I see Ansel, I think he has an imaginary dinosaur on his shoulder. Just that can be arranged. Talking and singing about imagination. 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 Oh man, we should we should end this episode before yeah. we get too too hysterical. Yeah. All right, party people, thank you for listening. You can find us on the internet. I am at bsilverio20 on Instagram and Twitter. I am at zshevich on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, whatever. You can find me at indecisionist on Twitter and at the indecisionist on Instagram. This has been an Indecisionist production. Special thanks to April Moralba for our podcast art and to Marlon Longin of Marlon and the Shakes for our amazing theme song. If you want to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag time to party. That's time, the number two party. And while you wrap your head around beyond the infinite two minutes, just remember to be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. Beauty, beauty, beauty.